Okay, well, we're in chapter 5 of Joshua. We're moving right along. Uh, last week we uh, finally crossed the Jordan River. And um, you can find uh, Joshua 5 in the uh, Pew Bible in front of you on page 180. Uh, the, the chapter begins down at the bottom of the page, page 180 in the Pew Bible. Before we do that, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us even today, Lord, and we pray that this morning that we would be hearers of your word. And we thank you, Lord, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So Joshua 5, verses 1 through 8. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted, and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Haraloth. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out of Egypt had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation and the men of war who came out of Egypt perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. And so it was their children, whom he raised up in their place, that Joshua circumcised. For they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. Praise God for his word. So one of the principles we'll, uh, we'll get from this chapter is that the Lord's timing is not always our timing. Or to put it another way, the Lord's ways are not always our ways. And for those of us who are interested in the military aspect of the, the conquest of the Promised Land, we notice that one of the results of the crossing of the Jordan River uh, by the Israelites is that the people in the land were pretty freaked out about the whole thing. I mean, verse, verse 1 says that the Canaanites and the Amorites, which, uh, by the way, when they mention them, they re represent all the people in the land. When they heard about all the events, uh, their hearts melted, uh, and there, there was no longer any spirit in them. Other versions Bible versions say that their courage failed or that they were paralyzed with fear. And that's a pretty strong response uh, to the events of the crossing of the river. So in a military sense, you would think that, that this would be the time for the Israelites to attack and to uh, begin their conquest. Uh, chapter 4, uh, we look back, it makes a point of telling us especially that among those who passed over, there were men ready for war. So the armies were ready, the enemy was paralyzed with fear, so now is the time to move. 
sees the tactical advantage, sees the psychological advantage, you know, sees whatever advantage you can get. Uh, you got to figure the Israelite armies were pretty fired up by now. They were ready for war, knowing that God had, had stopped the Jordan, and now they're in the land, and so let's, let's do this. Let's get this done. However, God had something else in mind. We read in verses 2 and 3 what that something else was. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So this makes me wonder what the men were thinking. You know, what, what was Joshua, their leader, thinking? You know, why now? Uh, what do, why do we have to do this now of all times? Uh, you know, can it wait? And not only that, if we skip down to verse 8, there's another issue. When, when the circumcising, it says, when the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. So who knows how long that took. So, so think about that for a minute. The whole nation had to be circumcised, as in all the males. And, you know, I would imagine that takes some time, uh, some prep coordination, some discretion maybe, uh, some persuasion uh, maybe. Um, and then notice what the, verse, the end of the verse says. They remained in their places until they were healed. You know, forget about the babies and the boys. Uh, the men, the fighting men, would be incapacitated uh, for a number of days until they were healed. And, you know, so now it's time for the enemy to seize the advantage. They, they must have known what was going on. They heard about the events. And, uh, but inexplicably, the, the enemy didn't move. They, they didn't take advantage of the situation. They apparently were still paralyzed with fear. And the Israelites still went on with the circumcisions. They still obeyed the, what the Lord had told them to do. And, and God was obviously still in control of everything. The situation uh, reminded me of the events surrounding the uh, evacuation of Dunkirk. You know, recall that early in, in World War II, the French and, and the British armies were in full retreat before the Germans. And the only place to go uh, to avoid being completely surrounded was the coast. So you have 350,000 men uh, on the coast concentrated around Dunkirk, and for some reason, the Germans didn't uh, press their advantage. They, they, they could have potentially destroyed this, uh, this uh, large group of uh, men or, or captured them, and the Allies would have had nothing left to fight with, and who knows what would have happened after that. But because of that delay, as we know, nearly all of the 350,000 men were evacuated safely from Dunkirk, brought to England alive to fight another day. Now, you can draw your own conclusions here, but there's a backstory to this event. Just prior to the evacuation, King George VI of England had called for a week of prayer. Uh, led by the Archbishop of Canterbury, churches all over England heeded that call to prayer. Now keep in mind, the, the, due to military secrecy, they didn't know exactly what was going on uh, on the continent. They didn't know exactly what was happening at Dunkirk, yet thousands uh, still committed to prayer. And, and so one could argue that there was preparation here uh, for the uncertain days ahead, preparation through prayer. 
And again, you can draw your own conclusions, but it makes you wonder what role those prayers had in what came to be called the miracle at Dunkirk and, and why there was a delay in the, um, the events. So back to the passage. So there's a bunch of questions. Now, now stay with me here. I came up with three questions. The first one is a practical question, and the, and the next two are more theological uh, type questions. Number one, why do they need to get circumcised a second time, uh, as verse 2 suggests? And number two, why do they need to get circumcised at all? In other words, why do the Israelites need to get circumcised? And number three, why do they need to get circumcised now, at this time, when, when they could attack or, or when they could be uh, so vulnerable? So the first question, why do they need to get circumcised a second time? And it says, and this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. Now that, when I read that, that became my most favorite verse in the Bible. And the reason is because it says, it explains things. How many times do we read a Bible and we're scratching our heads, what does that mean? This one says, and this is the reason. It's so easy. So uh, it, it explains. This is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of Egypt who came out of Egypt, I mean all the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war had died in the wilderness. And though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness had not been circumcised. Uh, for the people of Israel, we know the story, walked 40 years in the wilderness. Uh, they had to stay there because they did not obey. And the Lord swore to them that they would not see the land. So it was their children whom he had raised up in their place that Joshua uh, circumcised, for they were uncircumcised. So the text tells us that the next generation who came out of Egypt perished. Why? Because they didn't obey the voice of the Lord. And the Lord swore to them that he wouldn't let them see the land. So that generation is gone. They all die in the wilderness. So it was their children. The next generation, the generation that crossed the Jordan River, uh, who he uh, raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised. Why? Because they were uncircumcised. Uh, because they had not been circumcised on the way. So when verse 2 says that they were circumcised a second time, it, it wasn't that they were circumcised twice. I mean, that would you know, be ridiculous. Uh, it was that the new generation had to be circumcised. In other words, the nation of Israel, in a sense, had to have the procedure done a second time. So it appears that when the people uh, were wandering around the desert, wandering around the wilderness, God had temporarily suspended his covenant with them. Now, he didn't break the covenant. He didn't retract his covenant. God does not break covenants. But it, it appears that he suspended the covenant, and now with this new generation, the covenant will be reinstated uh, and renewed. Which brings us to the next question. Why do they need to get circumcised at all? Why do the Israelites need to get circumcised? For that answer, we go back to Genesis. In chapter 12, God calls Abram, uh, who will soon to be known as Abraham, out of the city of Ur and establishes a covenant with them. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. 
and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram, Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, and Abram's wife Sarai went with him, as well as his whole family. So then in chapter 17 in Genesis, God renews and expands the covenant and establishes a sign for the covenant. It says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between you, between you and me and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to be God to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of the Canaan. That's where we are now in Joshua. For an everlasting possession, and I will be their God as well. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you through their generations, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. And here's the sign. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. So the sign or the mark of the covenant is circumcision. And that's how uh, one was distinguished as part of the uh, covenant community, whether Jew or non-Jew. Uh, but as we know, or as uh, we need to be reminded of, the physical sign or mark is meaningless without the inward dedication to the covenant. Uh, to be frank, the, the men didn't walk around naked uh, to prove that they were part of the covenant or, or that they were recipients of the covenant. I mean, of course not. It was their trust in the Lord. It was their obedience in the Lord. It was their faith in the Lord that was the real sign that they were keeping the covenant. And so it is with us. For us, baptism is a sign or, or, of our trust in Christ as our Lord and Savior. As they say, a baptism is an outward display of an inward reality, of a changed heart a heart changed by God. I mean, we don't, we don't go walk around, walking around with a bee on our foreheads or, or some other mark to show that we're Christians. It, it, it's the life that we live in faith that, that's the true mark that we're believers. And, and it's always been that way. Jesus shows us this in the Beatitudes. We'll go over a few of them. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers. Am I a person who brings peace? Does peace follow me because peace lives in me? 
Or, or do other people in the home or in the workplace or in the church uh, experience tension uh, from me because I'm easily angered or agitated or, or impatient? He says in, in 5.8, Blessed are the pure in heart. Well, what's the condition of my heart? Uh, to what extent is my heart marked by purity? To what extent is my heart marked by impurity? Matthew 5.7, Blessed are the merciful. How am I doing uh, when it comes to this business of forgiving others? Uh, do I forgive quickly? and unconditionally? Am I merciful uh, towards the weaknesses and the failings of other people? Uh, blessed are, are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness in Matthew 5. Does that describe you this morning? Uh, last week, I talked about a craving and a longing for God's Word. Uh, do I also crave and long for righteousness? Uh, am I a person who says, I want to do what is right no matter what the cost? Now, to be clear, the, the Beatitudes are not telling you how to become a Christian. The Beatitudes tell us what a true Christian looks like. The, the message isn't if you humble yourself, mourn over your sins, submit yourself meekly to God, get an appetite for righteousness, and be baptized, uh, this will get you into heaven. That would be salvation by works. That's not the teaching of the Bible, and it's certainly not the teaching of Jesus here. Our salvation uh, begins with faith. Faith alone in Christ alone, uh, trusting Him by God's grace to save us. But that faith, that faith transforms us into new creatures empowered by the Holy Spirit to trust and obey our God, as, as Jesus uh, wonderfully shows in the Beatitudes. And we identify, we identify with that new life in Christ through baptism. And I'll have a few more words to say later about that. So after crossing the River Jordan and, and entering the Promised Land, our, our text tells us this morning uh, that God would have this new generation identify with Him and the covenant through circumcision. And, and I know that's a, a really long answer to question two. So now question three. Why now? Why get circumcised when they, when they could uh, go on the offensive, when they could attack, when, uh, or, or when they, they could be vulnerable to getting attacked? The answer here is that they needed to prepare they needed to prepare. They didn't need to prepare uh, by forging new weapons. Uh, they didn't need to prepare by training the soldiers. They, did, they didn't need to build up their supplies. That wasn't the kind of preparation that was needed. The, the preparation needed was a spiritual preparation. As I said before, a circumcision is a symbol for spiritual devotion to God. Paul writes in, in Romans 2, verse 28, for you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a changed heart produced by the Spirit. And here 
Uh, Paul's echoing God's um, admonitions and warnings in, in Deuteronomy 6, 10, 16 and Jeremiah 4, 4. Uh, the, the Deuteronomy passage says, and I'm paraphrasing, it says, circumcise your heart and stop being stiff-necked. Cir- circumcise your heart, stop being rebellious. So the, the preparation for the conquest of the land required a spiritual preparation so that the people would submit obediently to the Lord. In reality, uh, it will be the Lord who conquers the land, not the people. It will be the Lord who will conquer the land uh, when they trust Him and when they obey Him. And, and as of right now, things are off to a pretty good start. Uh, what might be humanly wise, you know, attacking the enemy uh, while they're afraid, um, is, is set aside in obedience to the Lord. The people trusted God. They willingly submitted to the circumcision procedure, knowing that it would delay their conquest and also that they would be basically unable to defend themselves uh, against attack as the men had to wait to heal. And such was circumcision part of their spiritual preparation, uh, in essence, a mark of their true, uh, of their trust in God. And again, uh, so is it with baptism. I sa- as I said earlier, for us, this side of the cross, baptism is a sign of our trust in Christ as our Lord and Savior. It's an unashamed, public uh, declaration of the reality of our faith in Christ. Uh, as has been said before, uh, baptism as an ordinance allows a person to symbolically identify with the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. Immersion in the water uh, represents uh, repenting or turning away from uh, the old life, dying to the old life, and considering the old life dead and buried. And lifting out of the water uh, represents the new birth and a new life of faith in Jesus. Uh, Over the past few weeks, I had the pleasure of interviewing uh, Bo Sunderland and Sawyer Malzak, and, and I was very encouraged by what they said. Um, years ago, I, I attended a friend's baptism, uh, and he was one out of a, a dozen or so uh, testimonies. My friend was, was one of the very few who even mentioned Jesus' name during those testimonies. I mean, there was talk about how great the church was. There was talk about how great the pastor was. And I'm not saying that that, those things aren't true, but in their testimonies, there was very little talk about Jesus, who is the author of their faith. So so when I asked Bo a few weeks ago in Sawyer the other day, why do you want to get baptized? Both of them said, without hesitation, because I love Jesus. Amen. Amen. Because I love Jesus. I mean, how can you argue with that? Now, theirs is a simple faith. There's no denying it's a simple faith, but it's faith. Praise God. And and because theirs is a simple faith, they're going to need nurturing. They're going to need discipling, teaching, encouragement. They're going to need support. 
And, and while the primary responsibility for that is on their parents, you know, such as explaining what circumcision is, <laughs> not me, um, we as a church, you know, play a big role in that as, as well. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. Make disciples, baptize them, and teach them. We often you know, kind of forget about that last one. Teach them. As a church body, as a church family, we all have a responsibility to the children in that regard. I mean, it, it, it's so easy. Uh, engage the young people in questions. You know, what's your favorite class in school? You know, what's, what's giving you difficulty in school? What has God, God recently taught you from his word? That's a great question. How can I pray for you? You could send a note, a birthday card, attend a game, a play, or a recital. These are ways we can support our young people. And of course, help out in Sunday school or children's church. Uh, men wanted, by the way. Men are desperately needed uh, in the Sunday school. So again, there are many ways we can encourage and support our young people. Amen? Amen. So we're going to uh, close with a song. Uh, I'll have a word of prayer at the end. And then we can head down to the lake.